Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here tonight. As a member of Alcoholics, I still remember Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember when there was a day when I wasn't a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was, I was sober. Members of Alcoholics Anonymous are sober. And uh, I had a guy I sponsored about two hours and he's been drinking. And he says, are you still my <laughs> He says, why not? I says, well, hell, I can't sponsor you. Who do you think I am? <laughs> I don't sponsor members of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's drinking. Now, he, he don't need Alcoholics Anonymous. He's got a power of himself in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> we needed you down at the conference. I said, Interpreter. She looked like she was mute. <laughs> we needed you out there yelling. I could have understood that. Well, I say I'm a recovered alcoholic. I love to controversy and uh, open up the big book and take a look at it because most of the people like myself that first come to alcoholics and uh, God, if it wasn't for what we I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have the opportunity to express Friday night. I don't know where I would be. Uh, if it was 1950, chances are I'd probably be living a pretty lonely life, a hopeless life. Uh, I call myself a recovered alcoholic because by God, I know somebody's going to go home from here tonight and they're going to say, did you hear him? He said he was cured. No, I am not cured. If I was cured, I wouldn't be here. But I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and it's possible to get well and stay well in and I didn't, I didn't write it from alcoholism. Now, what kind of hope would it have offered me if it said the story of Alcoholics Anonymous, how many thousands of men and women kept recovering for the rest of their lives? You can a little bit more. And uh, for those of you who heard my story, it's my story, and uh, if you only want to know. But I started to look at the forward to the first edition in the beginning of the day that had been around for years. And uh, it occurred to me that most people weren't reading the big book. Now, I don't care if you read it or not, but my life's based on what's in this book. And uh, if you have a bone to pick with me, don't take it with me. It says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And that's an awful powerful statement. That offers hope to somebody like me. And uh, this is before it even gets to the doctor and Bob when they first met going to the Akron City Hospital. And it said, hence the two men set to work almost frantically at the Akron City Hospital. Their very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately in number three. That's quick. Right now. I mean, you can't get me faster right now. But I heard things in AA when I come around that are like, uh, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to be recovering for the rest of my life. And I thought, oh Christ, I knew it was true. I'm going to be suffering because of what I did when I was drinking the rest of my life. And this is where I got to pay the price. And uh, I met a man my very first day meeting who I'd asked to be my sponsor. I didn't know what one was. Somebody said, get one. They were up here talking. And I turned to the guy who was closest to me, and I, I said, would you be my sponsor? I didn't know what one was. I figured everybody had one. I wanted one. I'm going to get one now. <laughs> and he said, yes, and he's been my sponsor ever since.
so I didn't pick my sponsor based on whether he was happy or not, or or whether he read the big book or anything like that. I was just fortunate in the fact that God put people in my life at the time that I really needed them. And uh, he introduced me to the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, I thought it was pretty dumb because the book didn't have any pictures in it at all. And I never was much of a reader. I thought, God, yeah, they ought to at least have a picture of Bill Wilson passed out in the bathtub or something like that. You know, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and I thought he was dumb. I thought you were dumb. I didn't know where I was. I, you know, <laughs> I was here. And uh, when I was first introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was 22 years old. And it was on April the 10th, 1977. And at that time, I think I could have counted maybe four or five people that were my age or close to my age in Alcoholics Anonymous. The other half were old enough to be my grandparents, and the other half were old enough to be my parents. And when I walked through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous at 22 years old, I looked around and I thought, Jesus Christ, what are we going to do on Friday? Play bridge? We're going to go poker? I mean, what, what are we going to do? I, I didn't know what to do if you didn't drink on Friday night. But I think the thing that really uh, left an impression on my mind that I couldn't get rid of was here was a group of people who were twice my age, maybe three times my age and more, who didn't talk down to me. It was the first group of people I'd ever met in my life that didn't tell me how to live my life. And that was really appealing to me. I walked through the door and I remember sitting at that table where I was. I sat with Desi and a couple other people. I can't remember their names now. And Don, Don M. gave the lead. And uh, the thing that impressed me was is here was a group of people who didn't even call me an alcoholic. When I first came to AA, my hair was a little wild. I had uh, bib coveralls on with no shirt, no underwear, no socks, and I had earth shoes. I was a burnout hippie from the 70s. <laughs> and uh, I was so sick, I thought I was a drug addict. I really did, because I had spent the last 10 years of my life trying to prove I wouldn't be an alcoholic like my mother. And for me to admit I was an alcoholic would mean I was wrong about the last 10 years of my life, and I wasn't ready to do that yet. So, and besides that, alcoholic sound kind of dirty. You know what I mean? Alcoholic. Jesus Christ, I remember the first time I said, my name's Joe, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, God, it, it tasted bad. Uh, drug addicts seem kind of cool. You know what I mean? I'm a drug addict, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? And, uh, drug addicts seem kind of chic. Uh, and at that time, we didn't have people coming in day that were chemically dependent. But, uh... There are people coming in today that are chemically dependent, and I get a kick out of it, because uh, I don't know what that means. I'd say if you live with your parents and one of them works for Dow Chemical, you're chemically dependent. <laughs> but uh, chemically dependent don't tell me nothing. Uh, calling me chemically dependent is like a fireman calling me at work saying, Mr. Annis Hansel, we had to hose your house down today, it overheated. <laughs> That doesn't tell me much. My house got hot. That's all it told me. Uh, well, was it the house next to me that burned down? Was it my garage? I mean, what, what, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Anna Sansel, to be honest with you, your house burned down today. Now, I understand that. And besides that, my problem never was a dependency on a chemical anyway. 
Uh, I started reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that describes alcohol as nothing but a symptom of, of the underlying and deeper problems inside of me, which was self-centered fear. Um, I don't know what polyaddicted means. What is that? Sex with more than one parent or what? <laughs> what is that? Three, ter- three parents. Okay. Oh, well, I've got to have somebody explain this stuff to me. Uh, cross-addicted. That's a good one. Yeah, you're, and you can tell when people are cross-addicted. They get that cross-addicted look. But they don't know if they're coming or going. And that don't tell me nothing either. Uh... This strange stuff. I'm a weird thinker. I've been that way my whole life. Uh, here's a good one. Codependent. What does that mean? Does that mean you get to claim two exemptions on your taxes at the end of the year? Or what, what, what is that? Uh, I don't get them good. I heard a girl the other day say, I'm addicted to relationships. I said, well, we don't have that in AA, but we got something called the fear of being alone. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. I can get really confused by all this stuff. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> that's all the more reason I had to find out what this book that had no pictures had to tell me. And what I found out was, as much as I drank, as much as I was convinced my problem was alcohol, I got the A that said, well, according to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it was just a symptom. That the thing like that killed me had really nothing to do with alcohol. It was self-centered fear. I could wrap this thing up in about two minutes and tell you my life story, and it really just boils down to this. Because I lived a life of self-centered fear, even before I started to drink, because I was afraid, I ran around with people I didn't like, I went places I didn't want to go, and I did things I didn't believe in. Yeah. And then when I started drinking, I still run around people I didn't like, going places I didn't want to go, doing things I didn't believe in, but it didn't bother me. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? <laughs> and then the booze quit working for me. You know what I was doing? Hanging around people I didn't like, <laughs> going places I didn't want to go, and doing things I didn't believe in. And Alcoholics Anonymous was the only place that would take me as I was and that they could use that to make my life better. And my life started getting better in Alcoholics Anonymous when I started hanging around people I didn't like, going places in AA I didn't want to go and doing things I didn't believe in, like reading this book that don't have any pictures in it. But where else could I go and be where I was my whole life and have my life get better? I don't know. I've tried different women, I've tried different states, different countries, different jobs, different clothes, different everything, and nothing made anything better in my life except Alcoholics Anonymous. And I really can't take any credit for any of it, because all I did coming here was hang around people I didn't like, <laughs> going places I didn't want to go. What the hell do I want to go to the workhouse for? What do I want to go to an A meeting at the workhouse for? I don't believe that. But I did it anyway, and my life got better. Uh, it's funny, I'm lucky to be with you. I really am, because my whole life depends on one little fine thing, and that's trust in God, clean house, and work with others. My very existence as a sober human being and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous rides on that little thing. And 
I'm lucky to be with you because this is the only place where I found people that understood how I felt and the crazy things that I thought. You know, I am a strange thinker. I really am. I'm the kind of guy who rides by the First Baptist Church in Louisville and thinks, I wonder where the last one's at. <laughs> is there a last church, last Baptist Church in Louisville? You ever drive by a liquor store and had a handicapped parking spot? <laughs> <laughs> Where do people in hell tell each other to go when they get mad at one another? I don't know. I thought about that for days. I walk through a supermarket through the frozen food section, look down at a container of sour cream, it'll have the expiration date on it. Like what's it do when it gets sour? <laughs> You know, and it works for people like me. You know, put that stuff on your resume. You won't get hired anywhere. But I thought about that stuff for a long time. Didn't amount to nothing, but I thought about it. There's a guy at work a couple weeks ago. He knows I, I'm a regular member of the Helping Hand Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in London Penitentiary. And I go every other Friday. And uh, on this particular Friday, he said, this is the, the night you go up to that AA meeting, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And he said, how far is that? I said, it's about 85 miles one way. And he says, anybody pay your gas up there? I says, no. He said, then why do you go there? And I said, so I don't have to live there. <laughs> he said, well, what do you talk about? I said, most of the time I don't. I just listen. He said, I don't understand that. How does that help them? I says, I don't know, but it sure as hell helps me. He says, you're nuts. I said, I know. That's why I go. And don't you forget it. <laughs> and it occurred to me, non-alcoholics don't understand people like us, drunk or sober. They couldn't understand why I went out day after day to destroy myself and the people around me. And they look at us like we're nuts going to these meetings all, all over the place. They think we're trying to help them people when really it's the other way around. That's why I'm going there, because I need the help and I don't want to live there. And I don't understand it, but it's the best way of life I've ever found. I can't understand how going someplace sometimes I don't want to go, and sometimes being around people I don't like, and doing things sometimes I just don't believe in makes my life better. But it's the best thing I've ever found. I started to uh, do other things than read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous when I came to AA. You know. I, I, live this I live this double life my whole life, and I'm pretty sure I still do lead a double life. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, I, I, you know, I could steal from people that were in the same damn room as I was, and then when they would find out that I'd stole, when they found out somebody stole something from them, I would act like I was concerned for their well-being. <laughs> somebody would say, you know, somebody stole some money out of my drawers upstairs, and I'd look at them without even blinking. I said, well, I told you if you lock your doors, that kind of stuff wouldn't happen. See, I had this character on the outside that I wanted to present to you, and on the insides where the real story was going on, the story of alcoholism. And uh, that carried right on into Alcoholics Anonymous in years in the sobriety. And I can tell you this, it's probably still going on. But what you see on the outside today is the closest thing to what's going on on the inside that I've ever experienced in my life. And I think that's part of the journey. You know, I come to find out in AA that I could just be who the hell I was, uh, goofy, not goofy, uh, character defects, the whole deal, and that would be all right. You know, I, I never believed in telling the truth in my life till I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. That's one of the things I didn't believe in doing. You know, telling the truth, well, that's crazy. And uh, I came to AA in uh, 
these people said, Joe, we don't know if you're an alcoholic or not like we are, but if you, you are an alcoholic like we are, you're in the grips of a progressive, fatal, and incurable illness. Never gets any better without spiritual relief. And uh, spiritual relief to me is a way to be in good spirits so I don't have to drink. And on the outside, I'm, I'm shaking my head like this. And on the inside, I'm thinking, that might be true for you, you old fart. You drank 30 years. Leading this double life. And uh, they didn't tell me how to live my life. That impressed the hell out of me. They said, if you want to find a way up and out of your problems, we'll show you how we did it. And that really impressed me. That made me feel like I, I didn't owe a anything, that I wasn't obligated, that I didn't have any actions to grind or people to please, because I'd tried all that crap my whole life before I come to A, and it always led me to one point, hating them. Because I'd always do this stuff for you, and then when the tables were turned and you didn't come through for me, it was you owe me. And here in Alcoholics Anonymous, it wasn't that way. These people were sharing with me what happened to them because they enjoyed what A had done for them and they wanted to ensure their sobriety. And they were willing to do that to ensure their sobriety, to watch somebody else enjoy the fruits of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, my sponsor told me to read the big book. You know, he shared with me. He shared with me certain things that the, he, he thought that the winners did in Alcoholics Anonymous. They had a home group. They had a sponsor. They read the big book. They went to institution meetings. And they practiced the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he didn't call me a loser. He just said, this is what I found the winners do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I don't like the term winners or losers, but I think what he meant was the people who are happy that stay sober for an extended period of time, you know. And, uh, of course, I thought he was stupid. I didn't believe him either. He was dumb. I didn't like him. So I started reading books like uh, Eat Right, Stay Fit, Die Anyway, you know. Uh, <laughs> Psycho-cybernetics, that's a good one for an alcoholic. Uh, think and grow rich, that's a good one. I got starved with that one. <laughs> Man, get your ass out get a child, that's all there is to it. I, you sit there and think all you want, but CG don't care what you think. They want their money, you know. And I learned that by thinking about getting a job and not getting one. Uh, what was another one I read? Uh, the Power of Positive Thinking. And I didn't know my problem was my thinking. If I'd have had the power to straighten my own thinking out, I'd have never come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's where I found the biggest part of the problem for me lies was in my mind. Um, I'd, I, I could stay away from alcohol from time to time, but sooner or later, from, for some insane, stupid reason, I would always go back to the bottle. And... Uh, I heard something in AA like to scared the hell out of me when I started to stay sober. I bounced in and out of AA for about a year and a half before I started really staying sober. Uh, I heard a guy say, if you don't remember your last drink, you've probably got another one left. You know, when I stopped to think about that, what alcoholic don't have another drink left? Uh, and it scared the hell out of me because by the time I started to stay sober, I, don't, I didn't remember my last drink. It literally scared the hell out of me. And, and that's why I... I I'm a big book fanatic because when I started reading this book, what I found out was is that even the memory of my worst episode drinking would not be enough to keep me sober. That my mental, I had no mental defense against the first drink whatsoever. It had to come from a power greater than myself. Thank God I started reading that book. Um, 
I stayed sober 89 days and went back out to drink again. I thought I could smoke pot and drink Diet Pepsi. I don't know where I got that idea, but uh, I never did before. And I came back and I heard a guy say, all you have to do is just don't drink a day at a time and come to meetings. And uh, I did that and I kept coming to A getting sicker. Now maybe some people can do it. I'm talking about myself. I can't. I tried it. Believe me, I tried with every bit of willpower that I could muster and it never worked out for me. Um, I found out that not drinking uh, might help a person from not getting drunk. But uh, for me, it's not the key to sobriety. Um, Bill writes on page 19, he says, we feel the elimination of our drinking was but a beginning, that a greater demonstration of our principles lies before us in our homes, occupations, and affairs. And I come to find out not drinking is not a principle, it's a condition, like drunk is a condition, that the principles he was talking about were the 12 steps. And I, I didn't know that. I had to drink to find that out. You see, when I stopped drinking, hanging around people I didn't like and going places I didn't want to go and doing things I didn't believe in became so goddamn uncomfortable. I had to drink again. I had to. My perspective on life was screwed up, and from time to time it still gets screwed up today. Uh, I came back the next time not drinking a day at a time, going to meetings every night, and stayed, stayed sober five months, ended up drinking again. And I couldn't believe it, because there were people that had been around for years and they were doing it, it was working for them. I couldn't deny that. But all I had to do was just don't drink and come to AA. And I started reading this big book, and, and it just told me that alcohol was but a symptom. That self-centered fear was a problem. And my dilemma was lack of power. I could not muster up enough power to get rid of that fear by myself. God, I tried. I tried hard. I wanted to be anything but an alcoholic. God, anything. That was the first one of the first things on my first four step that I wrote is I resent being an alcoholic, that I can't have a drink once in a while, even though I know it's a life and death situation. And uh, I thought I knew what loneliness was before I came to AA, but it wasn't until I was exposed to AA and went back out to drink again that I found out what loneliness was like. You know, that guy at work that asked me about going to that meeting, the non-alcoholic, uh, I don't think he'll ever experience the type of loneliness that you and I have experienced. You know that loneliness of laying in, in bed with your husband or wife at night and being the loneliest person in the world? Being in the middle of a crowd downtown at noontime and being lonely as hell? I don't think they'll understand that. I think it's, I think it's a, a certain type of loneliness that only an alcoholic understands. I'm not saying they don't get lonely, but I, I think for people like us, there's something special about it that only another alcoholic can understand. And I remember going out to have a few drinks, I'd sit at the bar and have a couple beers and start to get that Estee look. <laughs> get all handsome and debonair. I'd look in that mirror across from the bar thinking, you killer, you. <laughs> My hair's out to here, I haven't bathed in days. I smell like a goat and I'm calling myself a killer in a mirror. And I had two more drinks, I'd puke on the bar and it kicked me out. But I remember being on the street it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, people walking up and down the street, cars going up and down the street. I looked at myself and I looked in that bar and I thought, if I don't belong in there and I don't belong in AA because I cut my membership off by drinking, where do I belong? And to be out there in that world where life's happening and not feel a part of it and be lonely is one of the most terrible feelings I've ever had in my life. And I, have, I haven't had that feeling since I 
started to stay sober in AA. Um, by the time I started staying, just before I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, there weren't any more drugs in my life. I didn't have anything to prove anymore. I just didn't care. I was drinking wine around the clock. I'd wake up, I'd take a few swigs off the bottle, whatever it took to go back out, and then I'd just go back out and wake back up, and it was just around the clock. And uh, I found out that I was just a common garden variety alcoholic. That all those years, those years of drug usage, I did a lot of dope, lots of dope. Started doing dope really because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. <laughs> that makes any sense. Uh, it was one of the things I used to try to prove I'd never really be an alcoholic. Because I figured if I could successfully do drugs, I wouldn't have a problem with alcohol. Somebody else understood that. I, and I, I'll tell you, I was really fortunate in the fact that there were certain people placed in my life when I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I used to think that I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous to get even. Uh, but when I look back on it now, I think I, uh, I think I was swept back into Alcoholics Anonymous by a loving God that I still really don't understand today. I'll be honest with you, I don't understand God. Uh, I know that He's God and I'm not. My life's better like that. But as far as really giving you any kind of theological ideas about what is God, I don't know. I could tell you more about God a few years ago, but I know less today about God than I ever have. I believe I was swept back into Alcoholics Anonymous because you know what I was doing after bouncing out of AA when I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous? What I've been doing my whole life. Hang around people I didn't like. Going places I didn't want to go. Doing things I didn't believe in. Damn sure didn't want to come here because I knew this didn't work. It was like everything else I tried my whole life. I knew this thing wouldn't work for me. I was sitting in my sponsor's car after the meeting on October the 5th, 1978. And uh, I don't remember what was said at that meeting that night, but I remember what was said after the meeting. He, uh, he was sitting in his car with me, and he says, Joe, I want to thank you. You helped save my life this past year. And you have to remember, I hadn't eaten in days. My mom's racing 100 miles an hour because I just, had a, I just stopped drinking the day before, I think. Uh, I, I smelled like a goat. I had no money for my room because that's all I had was a room. Uh, I had, I felt like I was drifting aimlessly to nowhere. All the education I've ever had my whole life as I finished the tenth grade. It's as far as I ever went. I had no skill, no training, no education, no nothing. And here this bastard's telling me that I saved his life. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you must think I'm dumb. I'm not a dummy. Don't talk down to me. And he wasn't talking down to me. He was telling me the truth. He said, he said, you saved my life this past year. I want to thank you. And on the outside, I'm thinking, on the outside, I said, oh, really? How's that, Mike? And on the inside, I'm thinking, man, I don't want to hear this crap again. God damn it. I need a job. I need some money. I need a car. And you're going to sit here and tell me I helped you this past year, that I saved your life. On the outside, I go, really, Mike, how's that? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, my mother died of leukemia this past year. He said, little by little, I, through chemotherapy and the cancer, I watched her hair fall out and she shriveled up and died. And as her cancer progressed, there were times I wanted to drink so bad I could actually taste the whiskey in my mouth going down. 
And he said, but every time I was ready to drink, you went out and drank for me. He said, thanks, you teach me a lot. And out of a fit of humility and love and understanding for my fellow man, I said, you son of a bitch, I'm not teaching you anymore. And I didn't come back to AA to stay sober. I didn't come back to AA to be exposed to a way of life that keeps getting better and better as time goes by. <laughs> I didn't like the idea of some hillbilly using me is what it amounted to. <laughs> and he was from Kentucky, and anybody from Kentucky was a hillbilly in my mind. That's all there was to it. And uh, I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous under the idea that if I didn't drink, he couldn't use me. And a a uh, group of people were put into my life one by one that I needed to learn from about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that process has not stopped. It started with my first day of sobriety, and it's going on in my life today. God keeps putting people in my life one by one to show me what he wants me to see. You see, I found out through sobriety that life is not based on the facts the way I see it through my eyes. It's based on the facts the way God sees it through his eyes. And the only way I can get a glimpse of that from time to time is to listen to you. I tried listening to other people, and for some reason the language they were using didn't penetrate my ears. But in Alcoholics Anonymous, the language you were using was a language of the heart. And I could understand what you were saying. I got to the point where I was before, just not drinking a day at a time, hanging around them people I didn't like going place I didn't want to go and damn sure doing things I didn't believe in. How can anything, how can this book help me get a job? Now come on, I, really. You know, uh, my sex life was shot. It'd been a long time since I'd had sex with another human being, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about starting my own group called Sex Without Partners. <laughs> yeah, I see you guys smiling. The ones ain't smiling, you thinking about it. <laughs> The only sex excitement I had in my life was when I ran out of a drink. I got excited. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get a date. Hell's out, my hair was out the head, and bathing days, smelled like a goat, looked like Charlie Manson, wondering why I couldn't get a date. <laughs> Everybody else got a girl. <laughs> I come to find out some things by reading the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I come to find out that I didn't suffer from an immaturity problem like I hear a lot in AA. I come to find out that I suffer from self-centered fear. You know, I remember being a, a boy at them junior high and high school dances with my butt glued up against the wall. I knew what to say. Would you like to dance? And if you said no, I'd say, well, thank you, and I'd go ask you, would you like to? I knew because I watched other people do it. I wasn't dumb. I knew what to say. I couldn't do it. I was afraid. I was scared to death. But when I had a couple of drinks, hell, I danced with the guys. I didn't care. <laughs> hey, Chuck. Hey, let's dance, buddy. You know, I mean, so I, I don't believe for me it was a matter of immaturity. I believe it was self-centered fear. And my sponsor sat down and started talking to me about what had worked for him, and it was the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I thought to myself, you think you're so damn smart. I'm going to prove to you that it doesn't work. It's like everything I tried my whole life. See, it hasn't worked up to now, and I know it ain't going to work. You see, I think I could have drank a little bit longer. I think every alcoholic could have drank a little bit longer, but uh, I think the thing that really hurt me 
The part about alcoholism that really hurt me was my hopelessness. And I've said it before and I'll say it again because it's true for me. My hopelessness was a part of me like my I know my skin's white and my eyes are brown and my hair's brown and nappy. I don't think about it. It's me. And that's the way my hopelessness was when I came to A. I knew that I was the kind of person that life was never going to get better for. No matter what I tried, no matter where I went, no matter who I hung around with, life just wasn't going to get better for me. I didn't even have to think about that. I just knew it. And I think that's the thing that hurt me the most. And I didn't even know that my whole life was based on hopelessness. It wasn't until I came to A that I found some kind of hope. I think that's what that thing in the forward to the first edition and the rest of the book talks about. Recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. My life is full of hope today. I, I know, as sure as I'm sitting here, that Alcoholics Anonymous works. Because I've been sober since October the 5th, 1978, and I've done everything wrong. You name it, I've done it. Sober. So I know this thing works. But there was a day when I didn't know that. And I thought, I'm going to prove this thing doesn't work. This is a bunch of hokey crap. How's 12 sentences on a piece of paper going to help me get a job? Or help me to come up with my $20 for my room this week? Or get me a car that has gas in it that runs? Come on, do I look that dumb? And I'd say, Mike, I'm out of work. I, my, my mind's going 100 miles an hour. I need money. And he said, have you ever tried reading the book of Alcoholics Anonymous? I think, you're stupid. You're not hearing a thing I'm saying. And I'd say, but Mike, he said, well, he said, it's been my experience that by following the directions in this big book, that those other things took care of themselves. And I thought to myself, man, you are dumb. I'm the kind of guy that nothing ever works out for. My life never got better by reading the book. But for some reason, I did what I didn't believe in. I started reading that book. And I started to try to follow the directions, knowing it wasn't going to work. I just knew it. And that's really the reason I did it. So when I got done going through all the steps, trying to follow the directions like the book talked about, and doing everything he did, I could turn around and say, told you so, you were wrong. Nothing ever gets better for me. And I've been sober ever since then. Trying to prove A wouldn't work. From a book that doesn't have any pictures in it. I don't understand that. None whatsoever. And I come to find out I didn't have to understand it. I didn't even have to believe in it. But I did have to be willing to try it. And I think I think God knew that I understood anger. He knew I understood resentment. And I think he used that to my benefit to get me to try to read that book and follow directions in it. I really believe that. Because I didn't do this for my own good. I did it to get even. I felt like I had been screwed by everybody I'd ever met my whole life. I just wanted to screw somebody back. And this is my way of doing it. I was going to prove to him it wouldn't work. I wrote that inventory. I wrote that crap down. <clears throat> and my big book tells me that even though the third step is a vital and crucial step, it had little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to be rid of the things which had been blocking me. The things that kept me getting drunk over and over and over. I resented the fact that I was an alcoholic. It took me about 45 minutes to write my inventory. 
I was sober 30 days when I did it. I could not stand sobriety any longer the way I was looking at it through my eyes. I couldn't take it. And people say, oh, don't rush into it. I do a step a year. And, oh, I don't know what book they're reading, but mine says we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. That's what this one says. I found it out by accident by trying to prove it wouldn't work, not because I'm intelligent. I resented the fact there were people who had jobs, and I knew I was smarter than they were. That's a lot of people to hate when you're out of work. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I resented men who looked better than I did. I remember that. I resented men who dressed better than I did. I resented men who had a better way with the women than I did. I remember that. Very painful things to me at that time. Today, I could care less. <laughs> but at that time, it really bothered me. Uh, I was afraid of getting drunk. I remember, very afraid of getting drunk. Uh, I felt, like I said earlier, I remember right now, I feel like I'm drifting aimlessly to nowhere, no sense of direction or purpose in my life. Uh, I only finished the 10th grade. I, I thought, well, I'll never make it in this world. You see, all the things that I was looking at were based on the facts the way I saw them through my eyes. And they were all lies. Every one of them. They were based on self-centered fear. And I started to find out real quick that life's not based on the facts the way I see it through my eyes. It's based on the facts the way God sees it through his eyes. And the way I can see that is by being with you. Because a guy walked up to me. I was sober two weeks. He says, you want a job? I said, yeah. He said, well, you come on down tomorrow, and we'll talk to the personnel manager. So I filled the application out, and based on my work record, I wouldn't have hired me. Two months here, 30 days there, year and a half there, nine months here. Been months since I had the last job. And he said, now, you're going to have to tell the truth. And I thought, I don't believe in doing that. But for some reason, I did it. And the guy who interviewed me for the job was an alcoholic who had booze on his breath. You know, a big red nose, hungover, and all that. I thought, well, I know I'm not getting this job. The facts say, no chance, the way I see him through my eyes. And I sat down with the personnel manager who was hungover with booze on his breath, and I said, you know, we don't really have much to talk about if we're going to talk about my work history because it's pretty bad. I said, but I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've been sober two weeks and I promise if you hire me, I'll give you a good day's work. And he hired me. Now, I found out right then, for the first time, that life wasn't based on the facts the way I see him through my eyes. It's based on the facts the way God sees him through his. I was at that job a year and a half, and I remember one of the resentments I had on my inventory is people who had better jobs than I did, and I knew I was smarter than they were. I thought I'd gotten rid of that on that first inventory, and a buddy I'd worked with on the first job called me up at 1 o'clock in the morning, so excited, he had a job interview at the new Ford plant out there in Batavia. And I acted like I was happy. And I hung up, and I thought, you bastard, you used me, you stepped over me. I helped you, now you're leaving me. You know that, that weird feeling? And I, I grumbled about that for three days. This couldn't see straight, spitting mad, and it occurred to me, well, if you put an application in, they might know who you are, too. But the requirement for the job was eight years of experience or more or a journeyman's license. I had three years of experience with no journeyman's license. The facts said through my eyes, no way. But I was so mad at this guy 
because I felt like he was screwing me, I thought, I'm going to go out there and get even with him, just to say I did it too. Out of 17 people in the powerhouse, I was the only one hired that didn't have eight years of experience or more or a journeyman's license. I got the job, he didn't, now he's got the resentment. <laughs> little by little, I started to find out that the things that I was so afraid of, I don't have to be afraid of no more because I'm not the one responsible for my life getting better. It's the power behind Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I think that's really the most important thing that I've learned so far in being sober in AA, that no matter what happens, I know that I have a sense of direction and purpose in my life as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I started practicing these steps. You know, I didn't believe them. I had a list of people I had heard. It was in my inventory, and I went to make amends to them. I remember making amends to my mother. And uh, I said, well, Mom, I, I said, I didn't mean to treat you the way I did, but I didn't mean to say the things that I did. I didn't mean to turn out the way I turned out. I said, but I don't know how I'm going to go about repaying you for the way I treated you all these years. She said, son, you just keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous and you will have made all the amends you need to make to me. And I've been going to Alcoholics Anonymous ever since. I went to my dad and I went to my dad and I said, you know, I used to steal money from you all the time. I said, I don't know how much. I said, but I felt bad about it. And I said, I used to lie to you a lot. I said, I ripped you off a lot throughout the years. And he just looked at me and says, oh, I know. I said, well, how can I repay you? How can I repay my debt to you financially and, and everything else? Let me know how I can. He says, you just keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous. It seems like it's working real well for you. In my mind, I knew I'd owe him thousands of dollars. He wouldn't take the money. Even if I tried to put it in his pocket, he wouldn't take it. And it's funny, the 10th step just tells me to keep doing what I learned how to do in the first nine that worked so well in cleaning the wreckage of my past up. If it worked out well for cleaning the wreckage of the past up, it'd do just fine for living on a daily basis. How to grow an understanding and effectiveness of a spiritual way of life that I found. I can tell you, my understanding of it is, is I don't understand it. And I'm most effective at being a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous when I'm not trying to figure it out. What I'm just doing, what the directions in the book tells me to do. So I through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. That's changed so much for me over the years. Um, prayer has changed. My prayers have changed over the years. You know, and, and the prayer I have in the morning when I get up today is, I know I'm not running today. I know you're running, so take care of it for me. I do such a terrible job. And uh, there was a day where I had a wish list. And today it's just, you take care of me the best way you know how because you're doing a hell of a job. You know what I mean? And I think in the beginning, I just started praying for the hell of it. I mean, really. I, I Because somebody said to do it. And I didn't believe it. And I tried to prove it wouldn't work. So I did it. And it's worked for me ever since. Uh, I'm not a, a church-going person. I have nothing against church. I just really uh, haven't had a need, I guess, for religion in my life. But I hold the door open on it. I mean... There might be a time in my life where I feel like I want to go to church because I want to learn something. Uh, so I leave the door open on that. Working with other alcoholics, I, you know, I used to get nervous when I would talk to another alcoholic. 
or I would uh, work one-on-one -on -one or talk to a group of alcoholics. And when I look back on it now, what it was is I thought I was so damn important that there was something I was going to say that was going to strike them drunk or strike them sober. And I was so worried about the right thing to say that, hell, I missed out on the joy of working with other alcoholics. I was missing out on what they were trying to tell me about how my life had improved. And uh, today I can honestly say when I get up in front of a group of people to share my story or when I sit down with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, it's not a matter of being afraid. I, I think it's the feeling of, it's the apprehension of having fun. You know, it's just, the only thing I can think of, it's like sitting in the front seat of a roller coaster going up that first big hill, and you're thinking to yourself, hold on, man, this is going to be fun. It's not like being cornered by a Doberman Pinscher. And there was a day where I felt like I was cornered by a Doberman Pinscher every step I took. Uh, I got up and sober over 10 years. Never thought I'd be sober that long in my life, because ever really... The only motive I had, really, when I first came here was to get a steady job, a little money in my pocket, a set of wheels that ran, and a steady honey. And I was going to leave, because you people were weird. I never trusted people who didn't drink. And, uh, gosh, if you want to see what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me, uh, I want to see what Al-Anon's done for my wife and our family, look up my name in the phone book. It's right next to Anesthesia Associates of Cincinnati, believe that or not. <laughs> and come out and take a look at what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for our family. Got a house, two yards, front and back. Close my mind. That's a long way from a roach-infested sleeping room on Scott Street. Got a couple cars in the driveway, a little money in the bank. Got clothes in the closets, food in the refrigerator. And what's more important than that is there's a family on the inside that gets along with each other most of the time. Most of the time. I have two little boys that are four and five, and they think I'm God, and I ain't tell them no different. <laughs> and I love it. They'll find out sooner or later Dad's a nerd, but who cares? I'm enjoying it now. I never had it in my wildest dreams that I would be a sober member of AA, live out in the suburb, the place I used to talk bad about people, uh, and come home and have two little boys screaming, running up the driveway, Here comes the alcoholic! <laughs> and, uh, see if anybody's looking, you know, hey, keep it down, will you? <laughs> I know, but just keep it down. My wife joined Alan on, uh, well, this November would be three years ago, and I have to say this about Alan on. Alan on saved our marriage. There's no doubt in my mind that it did because the situation was this. My life kept getting better because it was based on a set of spiritual principles, and my wife's wasn't. It didn't mean that I didn't love her any less. It just meant that sometimes I'd go home and I'd find out things about myself and be so excited about living sober, and it was like talking to that wall. And uh, she started going to Al-Anon. We've been together seven years, and she started going to Al-Anon. And I thank God for Al-Anon, because I truly love my wife. She's a hell of a woman. She put up with my shit for a long time. And anybody can live with me has got to have some kind of tolerance because one day everything is wonderful. The next day the cuckoo clock goes off on the wall and you want to blow it off the wall. I mean, 
At any given time, I'm a paranoid anyway. I could be home by myself alone, looking for my socks, and I can't find them. I'll say, who, who stole my socks? But I'll think, nobody else wears your socks but you, you know. And so she's got to be a special kind of person to, to put up with me. Um, I'm going to shut up. If you're new, and what I mean by new to me, in your first year of sobriety, first day on up to a year of sobriety, um, I hope I've left you with the feeling that there's no problem that's too great or any situation that's so difficult that cannot be overcome through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because it'll work, if it worked for a brain-dead guy like me, hell, Mike Mad genius out of you. Thank you. Thank you.